This morning I'm going to do the reading for us. We had Ken Timbo, thank you Ken for reading, but the videos aren't working, so I will be reading for you from Acts chapter 16 and verses 6 to 15. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Ferga and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do so. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samthrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those women women listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is the word of the Lord. So before we go into the text of Acts 16, um, as most of you know, if you don't, wild, but Tuesday is the election day. And uh, such a, that would be an amazing gift, though, like if you didn't know and you just been like somehow living in a cave and you're like, it's what? You're like, wow, like the, the freedom you must feel would be just like phenomenal. But because of that, because Tuesday is the election day, I think a lot of us are feeling a decent amount of anxiety about what that brings and what comes with that. And anxiety for a lot of legitimate and really important reasons. Anxiety because of what 2020 has already been. Anxiety about what the last four years have been. And anxiety about what is to come. And you could feel that for lots of different reasons, regardless of what like, side of the political spectrum you consider yourself on. There's anxiety that's coming with Tuesday. And that's been reflected to me, regardless of who I'm talking to this week, regardless of what your political orientation is, that there is anxiety that is coming. And I've confessed this before, but I feel anxiety because I have a tendency to get very caught up in politics. Without intending to, I make it something that is ultimate in my life, something that is all-consuming for my mind and my heart and my hobbies. I am for sure like a hobby pundit. Um, and again, there's a lot of really good reasons for that and important reasons for that. Because I look at the political state 
of America and even the church, like it is phenomenal how divided it feels. And so that calls me into something and it, it challenges me in something. I have family that I'm worried about. Family who's like protesting and getting into violent protests on kind of all sides of the conversation and I worry about them and I miss them and I love them and I want them to be safe and so I worry about Tuesday. And then there's also just like the normal part of this, which is that there's issues that we care about that are on the ballot. And again, I think all of us can feel that regardless of what perspective we bring. And so as we enter into this week that we just don't know much about what it will do, what it will feel like, what will happen on Tuesday, as we enter into this unknown, strange season, more than anything else, I wanted to remind myself and you, if you're like me, that we are Christians. And that means more than anything else that we are citizens of a different kingdom. And that we believe that we have a different politic and a different way of being and most importantly, a different king. And when I forget that, specifically when I forget that and I make American politics ultimate, I think I'm falling into that third temptation that Jesus has offered in Matthew 4 when he's meeting with the tester. And the tester offers him all the kingdoms of the world if he would just bow down and worship. And I think right at the heart of that temptation is this offer to say, like, I will give you the world if you just do it the way the world does it. I will let you establish your kingdom if you just establish it the way that kingdoms have always been advanced through coercion and violence and money and manipulation. It's a temptation to trade the kingdom of Jesus and the way of Jesus, which is fundamentally the way of the cross, for the way of a rival, different, worldly kingdom. And when I make American politics ultimate, I think I'm falling into that temptation because I am supposed to be an ambassador of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom has different goals than American politics can have. And they are often antithetical to one another, as challenging as that may be for us. But not only does the kingdom of Jesus have a different set of goals than American politics, it also has a different set of tools for achieving those goals than American politics. Christians are people of the cross, which means that we are people of sacrificial love. We are people of hospitality. We are people of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of grace, and of justice. And most importantly, we are a people of a different hope. And so when you put those two things together, that we have a different hope and a different set of tools, that we have a different means and a different ends, it means that we cannot put hope in presidents or senators or political parties or America itself. And to do so is to fall into the third temptation that Jesus has offered. We hope in a different king and a different kingdom, and all other hopes are shallow promises. Doesn't mean we don't vote. Doesn't mean we don't get involved. It doesn't mean that we don't talk about it. It doesn't even mean we don't argue with our friends. All of those things can be important and true and good. But we do so knowing that we are called into something more at the very same time to make real Jesus' kingdom here and now, regardless of the politics of our moment. We started uh, our worship service today with a call to worship from Psalm 2. 
And the reason we started with that is because it's this moment where God is sort of mocking the politics of the world that you conspire and you plot and you plan and you think that you're in control and you think that you can bring justice or you can bring injustice and God's over all of that. Bigger and moving and is the only true source of hope or change. And that is a reminder to me of the way in which that I can make something that should not be ultimate, ultimate. So in this year, this week, we'll pray one more time and then we'll get into Acts. But as we enter into this week and the craziness of it and the anxiety of it, vote, be engaged, do those things. They're important, they're right. But remember that you are first and foremost Christians and you are citizens of a different kingdom with a different agenda, a different politic, and most importantly, a different king. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're with us. I think in my own mind what happens is that I get caught up in politics because it feels like the way the world is supposed to change or the, the easiest levers for something good to come. But Psalm 2 reminds us that, well, those levers always end in something false. And the only way to bring true healing is the restoration of your presence through your people. And so today and tomorrow and Tuesday and the rest of the week, would we not undermine the power of you in us, in the local spaces of our lives, and trade it for something that's, well, at the end of the day, pretty empty? God, help us have a new imagination for what it is that you're doing and how you do it, how the world changes, how good actually comes. Lead us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are in a series right now called The Missio Day, which is our namesake, but it also means the mission of God. And it's this theological concept, in some ways covering what we just talked about with the election, that God is on mission. God is doing something in the world around us. God is fermenting something, changing something, bringing something into reality, and inviting the church to participate. And so the question that we've been trying to ask all throughout this series is what is it that God is doing? What is this mission that God is on? And what does it mean for us to join in? What is this different goal that God's politic has? And what are the means of achieving it that the church are called into? What is the politic of God's kingdom, you could say? And we've said that God is on a mission to renew the world through the restoration of God's presence in a people who are then present to the world. So God is about restoring God's presence through the Spirit to a people who then get to be present to one another. Jesus says that when two or more are gathered in my name, I am present there with them. That's not just some like weird spiritual cliche. Jesus is like, no, no. When you gather around the table and you invite people into that, they're actually encountering me. And when you practice hospitality and when you welcome people into your homes, you're creating spaces of God's presence where people might experience Jesus. God is on a mission to restore his presence through a people who then are present to the world. And the way that we do that then is through these practices. Other traditions call them liturgies. Other traditions will will refer to them as spiritual disciplines. But these practices are ways of helping us tend to God's presence. 
Right? We believe that God is ahead of us, that God is moving, that God is on this mission. And we also believe that God is with us and in us. And so the practices are kind of a way of merging those two spaces together and saying, like, in this moment, when we're practicing these things, there's like a, a convergence of God's presence there and God's presence here that everyone gets to experience. And so the illustration that we've used a lot is, like, we'll think about a dinner table. A dinner table is a practice where we eat together and it curates spaces of presence. There's very few places in our life where you can be more present to another person than over a meal. And in that like very simple, in that very like almost mundane, ordinary, normal thing, God promises to be present. So these practices, like that sometimes sounds like really fancy to say that they, they're the tending of the merging of God's presence in us and around us, but then they're also so simple and ordinary, like a table and like hospitality in our home. And so we've been exploring these practices, gathering and welcoming, and today we're going to look at a new practice, the practice of exploring. The practice of Exploring. All of us are doing this practice a lot, I think, in most of our lives. And there's lots of ways we can do it. You might have heard the phrase like non-anxious listening. Non-anxious listening is a way of practicing exploring. Some of you like to take prayer walks in your neighborhood. That could be a way of exploring. Change groups that Missio does is a way of exploring what's happening in your own life. And some of you are social science majors. Social science is another kind of way of exploring the world around you. Ethnography is a way of exploring the world around you. Exploring can look like a lot of different things, but here is a definition. Exploring is the practice of listening to God's self and others. Paying attention to the movement of the Spirit in and around us so that we can join what God is up to. Exploring is the practice of listening to God's self and others, paying attention to the movement of the Spirit in the local, right here, in our midst, so that we can join what God is up to. And it's rooted in this promise that we've been returning to over and over again throughout this series, and really throughout this whole year, that God is ahead of us. I know that sounds so simple, but I feel like I can't say it enough, that God is ahead of us, that God is on mission around us. And exploring is about paying attention to where God is, where God is inviting us to participate in the thing that God is already up to. And I think this is challenging because God is often up to things that we don't understand or expect. We've seen this all throughout the story of Acts, whether that was Saul's conversion from two weeks ago. It was so unexpected, so unexpected that this person would all of a sudden become a follower of Jesus. Or maybe it's Peter's call to go to the Gentiles. Cornelius is so unexpected. This person who's considered already godly, who's already praying, who has a vision before Peter the apostle does. Like that's unexpected where God is already working. In each of these moments, God is moving way ahead of the apostles, way ahead of the church in ways that are unexpected and strange, and it defies what the apostles or the world or religious leaders thought was possible. The exploring is trying to join what God is doing, but it recognizes that we don't know what God is up to. 
That's actually an important posture that we have as the church, that we don't really know all the things that God is up to. God's given us frameworks. God has told us what God is like, what the Spirit is like, but we don't know what God is up to. So instead, we are invited to humbly discover it together. God is on the move in ways that we don't expect, in ways that we don't understand, and we are invited, beckoned to humbly discover what it is that God is up to. I think that's super cool. Now, there's a couple of ways this plays out, and we get to see them all kind of at work in this story from Acts chapter 16. So in this story in Acts chapter 16, which is one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts, Paul and his crew are on a missionary journey, right? A good, a right, a a pretty Christian thing to do. And they're headed to Asia to preach the gospel. And as they're journeying there, it says in verse 6, they're kept by the Holy Spirit from entering the province of Asia. And they're like, oh, that's weird. So then they're like, okay, we'll take a different route. So we're going we're gonna to like circumvent this route that's not open to us, and we're going to go somewhere else. And then in verse 7 it says, so they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So trying to go to the province of Asia one way, they can't get in, and they're saying the Spirit of God is stopping them from going. So then they're like, okay, we'll go a different direction. And they try to enter into the province of Asia from another direction, and again, the Spirit stopped them. And I think this would be so annoying if you were Paul. Did you ever know that the Spirit of God is just super annoying? (laughs) Is that offensive? I don't know. But it would be so frustrating. It would be so annoying because you're on this mission and you're doing something that you consider really good, really right. Like, objectively so. You're taking the Jesus story to a new place. And repeatedly, you are stopped from doing that. Repeatedly, you are halted by, according to this text, the Spirit of God from doing the thing that you think God has called you to do. And we learn a few things about what exploring is right here. At first and foremost, exploring is about listening to the Spirit of God. Rarely will it make sense in our moment. Rarely will it fit the, the ideals, the formulas that we have but it is about listening to the Spirit of God. And I think this is hard for us because I think one of the obstacles we have to exploring is a deep sense of certainty that we know what God is doing or what God is up to or the way in which God works. I don't think any of us would say that objectively. Like, no one, I don't, I don't think anybody would be so bold to be like, I know how God's going to show up or I know how God works in a space or I know the way in which God is moving but I think that we genuinely believe that we understand the way God works. That there's a model in which God fits. We see it also at the story of the Bible. The religious leaders thought that Jesus would show up to religious leaders specifically. The disciples were confused when Jesus would show up to non-disciples. The zealots who were like really dedicated patriots of Israel and who wanted to fight Rome were confused confused that Jesus didn't show up to more zealots and fight Rome, and those who were loyal to Rome were confused that Jesus didn't show up to them. I think even in my own life, I can do this where I always assume, and I, and I think for good reason, which is what makes this complicated, that God is always going to show up on the margins of society. 
feels like there's good precedent for God showing up on the margin. So I want to say God always shows up on the margin. So if you want to look for where God is, look for the most like marginal and unexpected places. And then he shows up to centurions, who are like the most powerful people in Roman society. Shows up to Nicodemus, who's a religious leader in that society. He shows up to Lydia, who's a, like a rich and powerful businesswoman. Maybe this is the most offensive thing about the gospel, is that God does what God wants to do. And God shows up where God's going to show up and reveals the spirit to whom he's going to reveal. We don't always know where that's going to be, and we don't always have the ability to predict it, and we definitely can't control it. And we see that in this moment, that the spirit stops Paul from doing this like logical, good, right thing. But there is a reason for it. Verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. The Spirit stops Paul from going somewhere because the Spirit is already ahead of Paul somewhere else. Not to say that God is not at work in one place, but the Spirit is actually inviting Paul to join him in Macedonia inviting him to participate in a thing that he's already doing somewhere else. God is ahead of Paul in Macedonia. And we're invited to join there. Now that leads to the second piece of what exploring is. It's first and foremost the practice of listening to the Spirit. The second, exploring is the practice of discerning with others. So right after this moment that Paul has this vision, it says in verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So this whole moment, you have a crew of people is stopped by the Spirit from entering into different places. And then Paul, on his own, has this vision, but he brings it to the community around him, and they together conclude that it means something. Exploring cannot happen alone. It can't happen alone. Look, this is true in the church, it's true in a spiritual level, but if you're in like a business setting or an academic setting, you also actually know this is true, that you cannot explore alone. Like if you're going to publish in a scientific journal, it has to be peer-reviewed. Your exploring has to be reviewed by other people. I'm working on my doctorate, I have a supervisor, I have readers, I have an academic review board. Everything that I'm submitting is then submitted to a community of people to be like, oh yeah, this actually corresponds to reality. You didn't just make up stuff. You didn't just pretend things. You didn't do things that were unethical. You're not just making up words, though I do that a lot, actually. Exploring has to be communal. And it has to be communal because we don't know our blind spots. We don't know all the things that we're not going to see. Maybe if Paul, this is inferring, but maybe if Paul's on this journey by himself, then he just keeps trying to ram right into the province of Asia. We don't know our own blind spots. We don't know what we bring to the questions or the situations that stop us from seeing what God is up to. And exploring is communal because we alone don't know which questions to ask. Right? We all bring our own set of questions that we're good at asking to a situation. I am good at asking one line of questions. Heather is good at asking all the rest of them. <laughs> and that is important to the way that we do life together, that we have different sets of questions and different ways of understanding and different ways 
of seeing because it reveals different things about a moment and a situation. And finally, exploring is communal because God promised to be present when people were together. And that means that as we're listening to one another and trying to discern together, that we are listening and discerning with God in our midst to God who is in our midst. As we discern together and wrestle together and think together and explore together, we are actually being led by God in and through one another. That's the way this works. It's why the metaphors that we get throughout Scripture, that we are the body of Christ, the living temple, because what we do together in this place is actually with God. So in the story, the group discerns together, and they decide, okay, we're supposed to head to Macedonia. This is what it says in verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. So when Paul gets to a new place, he has a pretty consistent strategy of what he does. He would enter a city and go straight for the synagogue. And a synagogue is sort of like a church, after the Jewish people are dispersed from Israel and the temple destroyed, they begin to set up these little synagogues, places where they could enter into Jewish life all throughout the rest of the world. And so Paul goes there because he's like, I know the culture, I know the language, I know the way that things work in that place, and I'll begin there, and that'll give me instructions about what the city is like and how to interact with the city. And we don't know exactly what's happening, so it's a little bit of inference, but something is strange in that he enters the city and doesn't do that. And there's not a mention of doing it, a mention of going to the synagogue or a mention of preaching in the city. So instead, he stays in the city for several days. We hear nothing about preaching, which again, would be so frustrating if you're Paul and you've been stopped by the Spirit from entering into Asia Minor, and then you come here where you've seen a vision and nothing happens. It'd be so frustrating. So what does Paul do? Well, he explores the local neighborhoods around him. It says in verse 13, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. This is the third truth about exploring, that exploring is the practice of paying attention to the local, the neighborhoods, the workplaces, the areas that are directly around you. Paul is practicing listening to God. He's discerning with the community around him. And then they enter into this new city and they begin to pay attention to what's happening in the city. If we believe that God has called us to a place, then we start to listen to the place that we're in. I think in a lot of our experiences when it comes to doing like ministry or evangelism or whatever, the way we're taught to do it or the way we imagine it's supposed to happen is like, everything is created or everything is manufactured from scratch. So it's like, here's, here's the situation, and it's like, nobody knows anything about Jesus, and they're hostile to it or whatever, and I'm going to enter into that moment, and like, that's where it's going to come from. There's going to be this amazing experience from there. And that's true, and that can be good. But in this moment, and all throughout the book of Acts, you see something that's actually really different than that. You see that God is already ahead of the apostles doing something, working something, 
and that the apostles then get to participate in what God has already begun to do. In fact, going to Asia Minor is Paul trying to manufacture some work of God, some movement of the Spirit, when God is already at work somewhere else. And Paul's job is not to manufacture that or create it from scratch. It's to pay attention and then to join. But they walk to the city, they don't see anything, so they walk out by the river and they see a group of women that are already praying. They're already doing something. They're already having this kind of conversation with God. They're already in the dialogue. And that was similar too, that when Peter is gets the vision of going to the Gentiles, he goes to Cornelius, and Cornelius is already a godly man. That's what the text says. And Cornelius already had seen a vision of Jesus. He'd already known that something was coming. Or if you go to the story of Philip, who hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading the Bible, and then Philip walks up to the chariot and begins to explain the text, the dude's already reading the Bible. In each of these stories, there's already something percolating, something fermenting, something happening in the job of the follower of Jesus isn't to manufacture it, it's to listen, to pay attention to where it is that God is moving in the local, and then to join the work that God is doing. That's what happens in this text. In verse 14, it says, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. There is something happening in her life way before Paul gets there, and way beyond Paul, and way above Paul. And this is true of our own lives, that God is moving around you and ahead of you in the places that you are, in your neighborhoods, and in your workplaces, in your friend groups, even your families. And it is not what you would expect. I cannot imagine that Lydia is the person that Paul expected to interact with in Macedonia, especially because he saw a vision of a man. So I don't know that he would have had an imagination for encountering Lydia by the river. Ancient Israel is a patriarchal society. Again, I can't imagine Paul has a notion that this is the person he's going to engage with. And yet, Lydia is the one who's waiting. But that was also true of Paul, that Paul is most certainly not the person that Ananias expected. But that is the beauty of the story of Jesus, that it always defies what we think is possible. And that leads to this final piece of what it means to explore, which is that exploring is paying attention, listening to God, discerning with others, making these like humble discoveries. And when we do, when that's happening around us, both beautiful and broken things will begin to emerge to us. We'll learn that God is doing something amazing, and yet we will also normally learn that there is trauma and that there is hurt and there is difficulties and there is deep questions to be answered. I think that's actually normally what will happen. Those two seem deeply connected to the way that God works in the world. That as we pay attention, as we listen, we will discover what God is up to and what is also difficult. And as we do those things, we are invited to ask a new question, which is, what is possible here? In light of what God is doing, what is possible? In light of the people that God has put me with, what is possible? In light of the need or the pain or the trauma or the things that I'm seeing God do, what is possible? 
And the answers will vary from, oh, a friendship is possible. Like a dinner party is possible to invite these people over to my home and to host them or to be invited into their home and to go as a guest. Maybe what emerges as a possible option is a regular lunch on Tuesdays with your coworkers. But also maybe like a, a ministry emerges. You're like, oh, I, I think this is actually leading me to this, and I want to do something like red light. See, the difference between this moment and then trying to manufacture something is that when we're manufacturing something, we're tending to impose our own set of assumptions, ideas, desires onto a situation. But exploring is about listening to God, discerning with others, paying attention to the local. And as we do that, then what is possible begins to emerge from within it. And it's actually who we are and what God has called us to do, meeting the needs of the moment around us, as opposed to us trying to like force something into that situation. It's about joining God as opposed to something else. So, Missio, what if we became a people who explored? People who listened to God and to self and others, who actively practiced paying attention to the neighborhood. I think that we would become adept at identifying what God is up to and where God is working around us. I think it's one of the most difficult questions that people are wrestling with. Like, where is God moving? And, and how is God calling me? And I think if we'd start to explore and pay attention, we'd start to get much more adept at noticing and paying attention and seeing it. I think we'd see the way that God is working in our lives and our world around us. I think we'd realize and be so surprised that God is working in amazing ways next door or at our offices or in our families or in our own homes. And I think that then because we'd be identifying it and paying attention to it, we'd get to participate in it. Do you remember that moment from Jesus' story when he's like, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few? And I think that's true, and maybe just add in this moment, but we're bad at paying attention to the harvest. But if we really believe that that's true, that Jesus is like doing this thing around us, then, well, if we pay attention, we'll start to find it. So, Missio, this week, I just want to challenge all of us to find practical ways that we can practice exploring. Like what, where can you do that? And who can you do it with? And, and what would it look like for you to try to pay attention and to listen this week? Maybe in your workplaces or your neighborhoods. Maybe it would look like walking the streets of your neighborhood and trying to like get to know people in a safe way. What are some practical ways that you can practice exploring with this? And then who can you discern with? If you're in a house church, that's a perfect group. If you have some friends and you can bring the things that are beginning to emerge, you can even better do it with them. Walk the neighborhood with those around you. Find a teammate in your work environment. Who can you discern with? And then as you discern with them, what starts to emerge? What questions begin to rise. What is possible in light of what you're discovering? That we don't get to gather at the table in the same way that we normally do, but the table is the place where we get to practice this first. We remember that God is already at work ahead of us, waiting for us to join.
He's not hiding, not covering himself. We just aren't the best at seeing. And so the table is a place for us to practice attuning, opening our eyes to what God is doing and the reality that God is at work waiting for us to join. So, Mr. we're going to keep worshiping. You have communion elements kind of near you. As you're ready, we invite you to participate in communion. Let's pray and we'll keep worshiping. God, this week, would you give us eyes to see you? Eyes to pay attention to the work of you around us. Eyes to see what you're doing in our lives, in our friends' lives, in our neighborhoods' lives, in our workplaces' lives. Like, would we start to see that you are at work in and around us? I think for some of us, like, we want to be followers of you, but it's felt really difficult to know how to do that, or it's felt like, uh, I don't know, just like really hard to tell people about you or to practice the way of you in our workplaces. And God, would you begin to show us where it is that you're working already? Not to say it'll make it easy, but that we might join in what it is that you're doing as opposed to feel the weight ourselves. So God, this week, lead us, guide us, and show us yourself. In your name we pray. Amen.